Exactly. Exactly. So I was like, hey, you know, like if I finish this thing, I score a point. And if I don't, we don't lose anything. She just laughs at me. She's like, <laughs> let's let's go ask Coach Webb. And, you know, Co- Bill Webb, you know, was a head coach at Tennessee for ages. And like he's a phenomenal guy. I love this guy. He we go down and we're like, hey, how do you feel about him jumping in the steeplechase? And he looks at me. He's like, what? You're a decathlete. What do you want to do something stupid like that for? This episode of the Smart Athlete Podcast is brought to you by Solpre, skincare for athletes. Whether you're in the gym, on the mats, on the road, or in the pool, we protect your skin so you're more comfortable in your own body. To learn more, go to solpre.com. Today on the Smart Athlete Podcast, my guest is a former NCAA Division I decathlete, currently taking those talents and competing in triathlon. Um, He is a USA track and field certified coach as well as a USA cycling certified coach. And he's taking those talents and coaching at Coastal Carolina University. Welcome to the show, Ben Yoakum. Howdy. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit different getting the read off before. Yeah, not not really used to getting uh, introduced. (laughs) That's how a lot of people are, which is which is fine. But it's like um, a few weeks ago, I talked to. Uh, Richard Feynman, and he is, he's like job searching. He's like, did you get my CV? Uh, just trying to like get through all this stuff. But, you know, I, I feel like, and and you, you probably come across, maybe the other coaches that you work with, there's a lot going on with people, especially kind of, I'll say, um, at the point that they're in their career, they've, you know, accumulated a fair number of things that they've done. Right. So. Some, I think sometimes we forget, oh, yeah, I did do that, and oh, I can do that. And <laughs> so I would like to like make sure everybody gets their, their credit where credit's due. Right. So we talked on the phone the other day a little bit. Um, I'm going to try to see if I can get you to commit here. You're, you're thinking about Louisville Ironman in 2020. So, yep. so what's the hesitation? Um, what, what can we do to, to push you towards uh, uh, so signing cool. up? So I did, I did um, Chattanooga this past September, and that was a fantastic experience, shy of the swim getting canceled. Did you, you did uh, the bowl? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, loved, loved that bike course. Like, it mm-hmm. was just, it was incredible. Um, the run course there is tough, um, just from an element standpoint, just uh, Barton Hill is nothing to be messed with. Um, I think anybody that has ever run that course will tell you the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, yeah. So, and then after doing that and like spending just, you know, what it takes to actually train up for a full Ironman, mm-hmm. I was like, this next year needs to be a down year. I need to recover. I need to like, do some things from a social standpoint because mm. the training work balance meant no social for almost a whole year there. Yeah. And that would, that wasn't fun. So, <laughs> you know, that's what a yeah, lot of people no. say is just like, it, it eats up all of life. So then, you know, like all your loved ones are in, in with it on you, you know, just cause you're doing it. And they are your support crew, basically. So it's it's all consuming, from what I understand. It's you know, and it's the kind of thing where like coaching at the level that I'm coaching, on top of trying to train for it, mm-hmm. 
you know, there were there were a lot of life lessons that came along with the with balancing everything out across the you know ten months or so that I was training up, um, and then I also had the like kick in the backside where I'm trying to think if it was about it was roughly January February that I came down with mono, mm-hmm. so. February, March, April, May were all just shot. Like I was not doing anything from a training standpoint. Mm-hmm. So mm, half of May, June, July, August, September was my training base. Yeah. So that that was not an ideal scenario whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, so did you have base going into it before that or was it like – yeah, no. So like okay. in go, like going into going into December, like so September September, October, November, December, I had 16 weeks mm-hmm. of really solid base going. Okay. You know, I was I was probably running 40 miles a week at a decent clip for me. Mm-hmm. And you know, then January hit, and my energy, I was, my, like I just felt like a slug, and I was like, "Well, <laughs> this is different." <laughs> yeah, that's that's one of those like I'll run through a cold, but if it's like you can't really run through mono or train through mono or fever, or, like there's a lot of things. It's just you can't do it. Yeah, you literally just have to sit down, sit on your hands, and go like, "All right." We're gonna bide our time, and it's just gonna be what it's gonna be. Yeah, yeah. I was like, you're saying, you know, you had those like four or five months there, and leaving the race, and I'm like, that's just people do it, but it always seems bananas to me when like people go from say like I'll call it like couch to Iron Man. I'm like, you're out of your mind. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or like Iron Man's gonna be the first race that you do. Yeah, and. You know, like I was like I was a decathlete in college, like 1500 meters was the longest race I ran. Yeah. I mean, I was deep like in most decathletes, like dread the 15. Like I actually enjoyed the 15. Like I was I was a 427 guy. Okay. Um, So, you know, I I, I could run a decent clip, Um, you know, and like to do that, you know, I I could I, you know, I had enough of a running base, you know, like I ran cross country in high school and like Mm -hmm. I ran. I want to say I ran like 17 flat for 5K kind of thing. Okay. You know, but I ain't done anything like that since. <laughs> you know, there, there's an infamous story floating around out there about me running a steeplechase, uh, 3K steeple, mm-hmm. my senior college that um, we, we won't necessarily go into, but. <laughs> well, I ran the steeple, so now I want to know, because I have this theory that no matter how, how good how good a shape you're in, I don't care. I, I've talked to a lot of people that run the steeple. No matter uh-huh. how good a shape you're in, the very yeah. first steeplechase you ever do hurts like the hell the whole way through. <laughs> so, uh, so I'll, okay, I'll go ahead and tell you the whole story. So we're at SEC Quad Meet with okay. Tennessee. It might have been Flor- Florida and Arkansas, and we're at Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And I look around and I kind of realize, like, I'm done for the day. And I realize that um, we've only got one guy entered in the steeple. Mm-hmm. So if I finish it, I score a point. Yeah. Okay, cool. So we, so I grabbed my coach and I was like, hey, 
what do you think about running the steeple? And she's like, you want to do what? <laughs> well, you you already know how to run hurdles. I mean, the only right. the thing's a barrier, just getting over the barrier with the, the pit. Exactly, exactly. So I was like, hey, you know, like if I finish this thing, I score a point. And if I don't, we don't lose anything. She just laughs at me. She's like, <laughs> let's, let's go ask Coach Webb. And, you know, Co- Bill Webb, you know, was a head coach at Tennessee for ages. And, like, he's a phenomenal guy. I love this guy. He, we go down and we're like, hey, how do you feel about him jumping in the steeplechase? And he looks at me, he's like, what? You're a decathlete. What do you want to do something stupid like that for? <laughs> I, said, I said, coach, somebody bet me I couldn't do it. And he's like, right on, jump in, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm in there with a handful of guys that ran like 905, 908 the week prior. Yeah. These, these these are not guys to be, like, trifled with. Right. Now, our distance coach grabs me by the shoulder right beforehand. He says, whatever you do, don't go out fast. Yeah. I'm like, all right, cool. So what do I do? I go out on the shoulders of these guys. Right. <laughs> <laughs> because 72-second quarters feel slow to me at this point. Yeah. I'm not thinking we got two miles worth of this, and I had no concept of what the barrier. The barrier, the five, it's like two miles and five barriers a lap. <laughs> right, and like I was hurtling like a champ because, like yeah. you know, yeah, you know, you know how to hurdle. You're a decathlete. You've done it. Yeah, thirty-six inch barriers instead of forty-twos is you're probably nothing. just stepping over them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And let me, man, first mile. I'm cruising. Two mm-hmm. K's. I'm like, yeah, two K's. Wait a minute. There's another thousand freaking meters of this. <laughs> that that next two and a half laps was the most painful two and a half laps of my entire collegiate career. <laughs> like. I got I got the golf clap coming down the last straightaway. Like oh it was, man, they were they were trying to pull the barriers off. They were trying to get lined up for the next event. Like it was ugly. <laughs> but you got that point right. Hey, one point, man. And if I remember right, we actually won that meet by like half a point or a point or so, it was something ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And um, like it was it was basically the go ahead point and. Old Bill Webb was hot. Oh, he was hot. <laughs> he, gave, he gave the go-ahead on that one. Um, but, yeah, so that was, you know, and of course, you know, my my coach at the time, Coach Fry, like, loves telling that story. He's, man, we had this decathlete. He just jumped in the steeplechase just because. <laughs> Do what you got. Hey, you know, and that's that seems like it's – not an unusual situation. Like the steeplechase is a pretty, I'll say, specialized event, and right. oftentimes it, it like. So I was at uh, an NAI school that's now Division Two. So like, our meets didn't have typically as many as like a Division One school would have, and right. sometimes you only have it'd be me and like four other guys. So there's three spots. If you stick anybody in there, they've got points. Yep. And they just yep. don't. So it's not unusual that that happens. Yep. 
But I, uh, I'm glad to see like my theory stands up that no matter what, that very first steeplechase, it hurts like hell. <laughs> well, you know, and uh, and I'll tell you a funny, like funny story is a couple years later, post collegiately, I was like, you know what, I'm gonna jump into another steeplechase. I'm, I'm gonna like, like I'm in better shape now. Like I'm running distance stuff. It's gonna okay, be better. Well, now you're just a glutton for punishment. Well, that's what. Where do you think I got into triathlon? Well, right. <laughs> I um so I I I had z like I had zero interest in going out to the longer distance try stuff for a mm -hmm. long time. Yeah. And my buddy who actually ironically was the other steeplechaser in that race. Mm -hmm. He calls me up. He says, "Hey, come come do this half Ironman with me in New Hampshire." I'm like, "Uh, I don't know, bro." <laughs> He's like, no, 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 you got plenty of time to train for it. You'll be fine. It's like five hours worth of work. You'll be great. Like, I, I don't know, bro. Man, and if you go, if you look up the course profile for the old Timberman race, mm -hmm. that thing is a bear. Like, it is an absolute bear. Not, not just the bike course, but the run course is just... It was horrendous. Um, I will never see another half iron course, anything like it, short of maybe, like, I haven't even, I, maybe Mont Tremblant would be. That's kind of what I was thinking. I haven't, I haven't raced either, but that was what came to mind. Was, I'd like to compare the two. Yeah, I, I've heard it's very similar um, in that regard. I was actually signed up to do Tremblant the year prior to ch uh, chat last year. Mm -hmm. um had some family stuff going on had you know mom mom got real sick so you know training stuff went out the window and i was like yeah. hey you know we got to take care of moms but uh so yeah that um but yeah no once once you get that itch once once you get that like nasty little fungus that gets under your skin <laughs> that says go longer go longer go longer there's this other random little itch that says it doesn't matter if you go slow, like you can just keep going longer. That, that I, I've got the infection, like it's, mm -hmm. it's gross, you know? Um, and it's kind of funny cause like, I'll talk with my kids about, you know, trying to run fast. Mm -hmm. Like I, you know, I used to be reasonably fast. I, I am nowhere near anything that I would call fast anymore. Yeah. But I really enjoy cranking on some long miles. Mm -hmm. Well, you, yeah. I mean, you need to if you want to go go the long distances. Well, right, right. You know, so there's that. <laughs> it it seems like I mean you're a decathlete, so you're a pretty big guy, I would assume. Um, five ten. Um, at race weight, I'm probably closer to one seventy five. Okay. Um, currently, I'm pushing closer to one ninety. What were you um, in college when you were doing decathlon? I was like one seventy seven was competition weight. Okay. okay. Yeah, one seventy five, one seventy seven. Um, probably about four percent body fat. Just you know, real lean, yeah. real, real, real strong, like pound for pound. Yeah. Did you uh, did you do? And this is just a personal curiosity. Did you do pole vault in high school, or did you have to learn that in college? 
so the vault was I was actually one of the very fortunate decathletes that had the vault in high school. So like I was a 400 800 cross country guy plus the vault in high school. Okay. Um so but I I was self-taught with the vault, so my freshman year was all like relearn the vault. Yeah. Which was almost worse than coming in with no bad habits. <laughs> Yeah, you gotta like break everything down, and finally the coach would be like, "Okay, no, like your inversions wrong," and <laughs> it was all wrong. It was all wrong. The only the only thing that was right was my like fearlessness of the event. Right. Like that was the only thing that was right about it. <laughs> so, like, how do you translate that? I mean, now that you're on the other the other side, and now you're like working with athletes, how do you take all that? those and like translate that into you know helping your athletes right be the best they can be so so much of so much of coaching period is just is relationships right Mm -hmm. so you know having sitting down on a regular basis having conversations and just being like hey here's where we are here's where you're telling me you want to go these are not my goals. These are their goals. Like mm-hmm. I, I am not the guy to sit there and go, Hey, you ought to be at NCAAs. You ought to be, you know, world-class athlete. Mm-hmm. I, I, I push as little of that in their direction as I can. Um, unless they're just absolutely oblivious. And sometimes that's a really good thing. Um, but, um, the, so, and part of, part of, you know, to back, back up a little bit too, uh, my master's degree is actually in motor control and rehabilitation. Okay. So, so basically I did a whole bunch of stroke rehab reading in college, Okay. Uh, but you know, and which is really nothing more than skill acquisition. So taking all of the little pieces you know, taking like the the small piece, the small piece, the small piece, that all add up mm-hmm. to build the castle. So you know, and the the metaphor that I always use with with the kids is, if you take five Legos and you try to put them all together at the same time, how well does that work? Right. It, right. Like, generally speaking, it doesn't work very well unless you're just super freaky coordinated to put five Legos together at the same time. Yeah. What, like one Lego on each finger and somehow you're, <laughs> yeah, uh, it just, it doesn't work. So like if you just take two pieces and you put them together and then you put two more pieces together and you put two more pieces together and you put two more pieces together, keep your head down and just keep putting the pieces together. Mm-hmm. Sooner or later you step back and you built the castle. Right. Right. You know, um, and I think, you know, like, if you know, if we're talking about, you know, distance and triathlon and all that, it's really no different. You know, like you just you put the pieces together one at a time. You know, you get yourself into where like, okay, I understand what I'm doing with my running, you know, and you can go way deep in the rabbit hole on any one of the different disciplines. Mm -hmm. But, you know, establishing a basic understanding of each okay cool now let's establish a basic understanding of what it means to 
go out of the water in a supine position where your blood's flowing nice and smooth Mm -hmm. and you stand up vertically and your heart rate shoots through the roof and in the back of your head you're going wtf man what's going on yeah you know i know how to ride a bike and all of a sudden you can hardly speak words um so you know understanding what that transition actually feels like Mm -hmm. you know and you know that uh infamous first half mile or mile off the bike in your first triathlon race that's that's a major wake-up call yeah people get they get real especially if they haven't done any bricks beforehand like bike run workouts is they they're like I feel super bouncy, like the legs are sometimes it's either like bouncy or it could be just completely dead because they went too hard on the bike and didn't conserve anything. It's like one of the two. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Running with bricks. This guy all day long. So if you want a really funny first triathlon story, I, I've probably got the all-time winner. Um, Go for it. The so my right after I graduated um, back in 2003. Uh, so I graduated in May, in uh, May, June, somewhere June, July. I bought a road bike mm-hmm. that you know did the standard, you know, throw cr- crank on some aero bars onto it that mm-hmm. you know weigh nine pounds and. You know, it's the, you know, it's old specialized LA kind of thing. Um, Love that bike just from sentimental value. (laughs) But, um, you know, rode it for like two months and I had done zero swimming. Mm -hmm. Zero. And I, somebody, I'd, I'd heard about this quote unquote sprint triathlon. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm a sprinter. That's a great idea. Yeah. I look online. It's it's like 600 and something meters worth of swimming. I'm used to running running 600 meter repeats all the time. How bad can that be? Yeah, 600 meter swim. That's pretty short. No big deal. Yeah. 13 miles on the bike. Okay, that's like half an hour. Mm-hmm. Great. And then a 5K. Cool. I can hammer out a 5K after doing after these puny little things on the front end. Yeah. Man, let me tell you. <laughs> so there's 386 people signed up for this race, right? Mm-hmm. I finished 384th. <laughs> okay. In, in the swim, out of the water. Now. It was so it was like nineteen minutes forty some seconds. The only mm-hmm. two people faster than in the water was like the seven year old girl and an eighty six year old woman. Not not where you're used to be to being. Not where I'm used to being. So there's a <laughs> there's a guy there's a guy who turned. I can't remember if it was a hundred or a hundred and one that day. That was faster than me in the water. Once you get the, once you get it down, it's kind of like um, so. There's a uh, one of my coaches, uh, former Olympic tri- triathlete Barb Lindquist. She'll like 
she was an all-American swimmer at Stanford, and okay. she was known for being out of the water first when she was racing professionally. Yeah. She'll not swim for an entire year, and then get in the pool and crank out like ten thousand meters at one one pen, one ten pace or something. Like like yeah. no big deal. Yeah. What, is like, like, once you've got that swim down, it seems like it just stays. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I that's probably um, the hundred hundred year old guy. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking. Um, but I jump out of the water. I jump. I get on the bike, and I'm like, all right, I'm gonna go mow somebody down. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, go mowing people down. I'm just like, bam, bam, bam. All right, this is this is what this is supposed to be like. All right, here we go. We're good. Mm-hmm. Went way, way, way. Especially for not knowing what I was getting into, went way too hard on the bike. Got off the bike feeling confident, put my run shoes on, and I took that first quarter mile going, feeling pretty much like a baby giraffe. <laughs> and the uh, I remember having the thought of whoever named this sprint triathlon knows nothing about sprinting, needs to be drug out in the street and make it an example of. It's just a relative term. It's a relative term. And people don't tell you it's a relative term. <laughs> a real sprint would be like a 100-meter swim, maybe a three-mile bike, and then like a mile run or something. And even that's not even really a sprint. Yeah, right? Like like a true sprint is like, you know, 600 meters or less. <laughs> yeah, you know, and like, you know, you can get into the debate whether the 800 meters now, you know, the is is a sprint or a uh, is a middle distance race. But, you know, we'll we'll, we'll save that one for another day. <laughs> <laughs> so you recovered from your baby giraffe legs. Yeah, no, recovered from the baby giraffe legs, finished the thing up, and, you know, like, I can't, like I said, I came out of the water 384 of 386, and I think I finished, like, 150-ish, mm-hmm. you know. Um, a little redemption. A little bit of redemption, a little bit of redemption, but, you know, there was still the, like, wake-up call of, like, what on earth was that? And just being entirely overly competitive by nature i was like okay we got to go back we got to train and do this again uh-huh. because we can't get whooped by you know and like and, and the mentality of a 23 year old guy that's hopped up on testosterone and whey protein was i can't be just out here getting whooped on by these 60 and 70 year old you know, men and women, like, this is just not okay. Like, I'm in my prime. Like, this is just not okay. This shouldn't be happening right now. Right, right. That was major kick to the ego. Um, you know, obviously, since then, there's the realization of, like, that distance events are, a like, aerobic training is cumulative, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the come to find out in... Um, ex-phys class a few years later the aerobic system is not fully developed until your mid-30s well here we go yeah <laughs> uh, you know never mind learning to actually swim a little bit change change the game oh yeah this technique is so crucial like 
and I I take like my thoughts about swimming, which I it's kind of weird to think I've been swimming for a decade now. I still feel like I'm a beginner. And, oh yeah, uh, but just like technique is so crucial in the swim. I take that back to like running. If I'm ever I'm not in a, an official coach anywhere, but like they'll there are people that kind of come to me and I help them. But it's like te- technique is also important in the run. Like you can oh absolutely, and it's important in the bike too. But it's like people come from their like a running background or cycling background, and sometimes think they can just like muscle their way through a swim. You cannot like you could muscle through maybe fifty meters, but That's about it's it. it's gonna be rough. <laughs> You can muscle your way through, like I said, and if you're really strong and really fit, you can muscle your way through about a hundred meters worth, I'd say. Yeah. But that's it. Like you don't get to, the the water fights back so hard that if you don't find a way to caress that water and be friendly with that water, Mm -hmm. it fights you back all day, every day. Yeah, because we're not we're not aquatic beings. We try, but we're like we're so woefully slow compared to like anything that actually lives in the water. It's not even funny. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Um, So, like, how do you? Obviously, you know the the competitive bug's gotten you. You're doing triathlon, but like, how do you kind of balance that with coaching? Because I know. I mean, any coach I know, and I think I think that's probably true for you, especially from kind of how effusive you've been about what you do. Like, how do you balance all that time with with training? And, like, how do you make that priority when, you know, you've got kids that need your attention, but you're also like, I got a five-hour bike ride I need to get in. It's exceptionally hard. Um, and I'll be fully, you know, full disclosure, like, when 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 push comes to shove my kids get my attention Mm -hmm. like that's my job that's what i do and like my athletic my athletic career is far past its prime right right like do i have a faster half iron do i have a faster marathon do i have do i have a faster full you know full iron man in me absolutely those are coming but the the idea of militaristic training and like really hammering to get every single you know milliliter of VO two cranked up in my system, mm-hmm. those days are long gone. Um, for me, you know, like the if it doesn't happen in the morning. 95% it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, the balance, like the one balance that I found not this past year, but the year prior was where the kids are in the weight room at 6 a.m. They're in there from 6 to 7. Then as soon as they're done, I would take off and go run for like 45 minutes or an hour. Mm-hmm make some breakfast, catch a shower, get into the office and like, you know, crank on office stuff until it was time to go to practice and then do that. Um, Maybe twice a week, get into the pool after practice just because it was a low impact kind of thing. Right. Um, My training philosophy 
you know, for training my kids and, you know, training myself also has always been quality over quantity. Mm-hmm. Um, so I may only have 45 minutes or an hour versus, you know, being able to go out and spend those long hours to get stuff in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the long hours have been on Sunday. Like that's when it happens. Um, now, once the competition season comes around, that can get to be hit or miss. Um, you know, just whether I've got the energy, like, you know, if, our, if, if the bus gets back to campus at 1 o'clock, you know, 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, I'm sleeping till at least noon. Yeah. Like, that's happening. Anybody that wants to argue about it, come find me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but you know, get, you know, but that, that kind of gets to be into that, you know, Sunday routine of like, okay, brunch, longer workout, but don't crush yourself so that Monday comes along and you're just wasted. Mm-hmm. Um, so the real, the reality of it is that January through April is exceptionally difficult. Mm-hmm balancing it um and my fitness shows it you know yeah like, and that's tough since that's i mean that's really that's like to, at least for me for my training schedule that's like prep getting ready for race season then race season starts march yes. april may and yep yep absolutely you know and like that's that's when that's when you got to be putting those those hours on the trainer and that's when you got to be putting that time in the pool and mm-hmm. It's hard. It's hard. Well, so like, uh, I mean, the bike is the the biggest time consumer to me, especially yep. as you're going longer distances. It's a proportionally a larger piece of the pie. So it's like it you can't skip it, and nope. it's, it becomes tougher to to maintain high fitness there, in my opinion. But you know, but you know, and the the thing about it is, you can do so much with the higher intensity intervals and you can do so much with the weight room, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if you're, if you're being smart about it, it can be done. And it like, I really think that on six hours of training a week, you could do a full iron. No problem. Okay. Now those six hours, you're going to be cranking. Yeah. Like, like when you get it, you're going to be getting after it like fat kid after cake. Um, you know, but, you know, which you got to, you got to pay attention to what you're doing and um, the, uh, you know, paying attention to injuries and all that kind of stuff. But I, I, you know, and this, this is me calling myself out on just not getting it done really. Um, but it can be done on really, really minimal hours. So what is like, if I wanted to like, for you, if I, if I want to maximize bike fitness, but I don't have the time to get in bike work, what am I, what am I going to the weight room and doing? Squats, front squats, (laughs) just squats, (laughs) front squats, front squats, front squats, front squats. Um, those um, I'm a big low weight, high weight, low rep. What are we doing? 
high weight, low reps. Okay. Because so, and contrary to popular belief and like, you know, the, the low weight, high reps is going to build muscular volume, right? Okay. Nobody wants to cart any more of their own butt around the course than they have to. Right. right? So you want to be as light and you want to be as strong pound for pound as physically possible, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, physiology lesson is that's more about neural recruitment than it is, um, you know, uh, cross-sectional area in the muscle. Okay. So you develop that neural recruitment by going high intensity, low reps. So you might hit three sets of three on the squat and be done. Okay. Um, you know, and re- realistically for triathlon training, you might hit like five sets of three, but have those sets of three spaced out with like 10 minutes in between each one of those three. Okay. Um, you know, that, you know, that would be, you know, bang for your buck. That's probably it in the weight room. Um, you know, I'm, I've always been a big fan of the Olympic lifts, you know, like your, your snatches, your cleans, just because mm-hmm. they're t- total body lifts. Um, I got obsessed with the clean in high school, and it was, like, a favorite lift. And I'm like, there's no, like, I can't go to my gym and do it. They don't have a setup <laughs> to, to do that at my gym. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, bang, bang for your buck. Like, weight room, that that would be it for the for the bike. And really, for the run... Between that and lunges, that that kind of be like I said if you're just looking for bang for your buck, that's you can go in there and hit that in 20 minutes and be done. Mm-hmm. It's always it's it's kind of a I fortunately have a little bit more flexibility in my schedule, but I know a lot of people don't. So I kind of think about you know who like average Joe working 40, 50, 60 hours a week. Like how do they compete in the sport? So that's why I was curious. Like you know. Yeah. Obviously, you're spending a lot of time coaching. So, like, what are you doing to, you know, get that maximum, you know, maximum right back out of, of what you're putting in? Yeah. No. And, like, the other one that I'm a big, big fan of is, like, minute on, minute off on the trainer. Okay. Um, I can get, like, if I get up before weight room time. So, like, if I'm on the bike by 515. Mm-hmm. I can do a 15 minute warm up that gets me to 5:30. I can go minute on, minute off for 20 minutes. So I yeah, get 10, 10 10 reps. I get 10 reps and my legs are jelloed because for that 1 minute I am absolutely cranking as many watts or as many miles per hour just you know whatever your your yeah, metric right. Um, you know, I'm, I'm getting it for that minute and then just soft pedal it for a minute and just turn it back and turn it back and turn it back. Yeah. Um, you can, you can do so much with, with just 10 reps like that. Yeah. And if you, I mean, if you're doing it right, you're, you're done after 10, like you're not doing it anymore. No, we'll do that. We'll do that. We do, um, uh, we kind of have a mix. So like. This last couple of days ago, I did um, five times, what was it, three on, I think it was three on, three off, zone five, 
just as high yep. as I could go in zone five. But we'll also do like a 30-30 instead of a 1-1. One, one. So 30 yep. seconds on, 30 seconds off, we'll do 15 yep. or 20 of those. So effectively the same thing. Yep. And then I can always crank those higher. So he'll call it, we'll, we call it zone six since technically there's not a zone six. Because it's always <laughs> above, like I'm always hitting power above whatever zone five ends at. Yeah. You know, for 30 seconds, like you, you can go pretty hard for 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. No, you, you crank that up. And, and again, you're establishing that neural, like, especially on that 30, 15 to 30 second range, mm-hmm. you can do so much to bump that neural recruitment. I mean, you're effect like at that point, you're effectively doing weight room type work right. on the bike. Right. You know, just pushing max power. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and like, and you can play around with that, you know, and especially if you're tracking watts, you can you can do that so many different ways. I mean, you can do that at 70 RPMs or 95 RPMs or 130 mm-hmm. RPMs, and you're training different components of the of the nervous system and like the range of motion and like rate, like the angular rates on the hip. Mm-hmm. Um there's there's a bunch of cool research out there about like as you get into that last mile or two on the bike to just you know spin up some really tiny gears and just really turn fast mm-hmm. so that your cadence like so you can jump off the bike and hit that cadence you know like you want to on the run right and that's what i always heard like um before i hired on my own coach like i said i worked I'll say I've worked with Barb Lindquist. I'll say that, but it was kind of a loose affiliation. Um, and she always talked about like, you're when you're coming into transition, like gear down, make sure you're definitely cranking above 90, which you should be for most of the bike anyway, but just like get, get ready for the run. She always said that. And I don't know that I've seen a lot of other people talk about it. Maybe it's just something people do and they don't talk about, but yeah, prepping <laughs> your legs for the run is it's so crucial to having a good day, not having a bad time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like um, like my friend uh, Todd Buckingham, who is this last year he was the ITU amateur world champion um, at the Olympic distance. He was talking about uh, I had him on in one of the early episodes, and he was talking about his cadence on the run is like. Depending on whether you're counting one leg or two or or two legs, he counts two legs. He said 200 reps per minute. So on one leg, 100 beats per minute, which okay. is like he's turning. He's really turning over. Yeah. And like I'll yeah. turn over at like 92, 93 at race pace, but I can't even imagine getting up to 100. And he he moves. He's he's not a very big guy either. I think he's maybe five seven, and he'll run. Yeah. 32 33 minute 10ks yeah yeah which which is absolutely nothing to sneeze at it'd be interesting to look at what the hip range of motion looks like at that with with that kind of turnover Mm -hmm. um he would know too he's a he has his phd in exercise physiology he he's the head of like a new lab at this hospital where he lives so he'd probably already know that (laughs) (laughs) That's super cool. Yeah. No, I mean, like, it's, you know, because actually the my master's study was on, like, maximum velocity sprint mechanics. Okay. Which, 
you know, mm-hmm. 85-90% translates back over towards, you know, distance running stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, not, you know, there's not a direct correlation, but there's a, there's a lot of pieces of it. And one of, the, one of the variables that we really narrowed in on was ground contact time. Yeah. Um, if you're turning over at 200 reps, he can't, he, he's got to be touching the ground. He, he looks like he floats. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not yeah. a lot of vertical oscillation at all. No, it's super smooth. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah, he did. So for his, for his uh, dissertation, he took data from, it was at, I think, the 2017 National Championship. He took data from various people wearing this particular type of Garmin watch. And tried to okay. figure out like what were the differentiators in terms of performance between all of these athletes. Uh-huh. And you know, we talk about cadence all the time. Cadence, 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 gotta get your cadence up. Don't run at 75 RPMs, run at 90. Yeah. And interestingly, which this somewhat makes sense, the biggest differentiator like in terms of speed was stride length instead of cadence. Well, and I bet the slower the f- folks were running, the longer they were reaching. Well, yeah, but but you think about it at the same time. Like, if you if all things are equal, let's say is everybody's running at ninety, well, then yep. who has the longer stride length? Like, it's it's right. kind of it's kind of just almost a duh moment, but it, it does like to me illustrates the importance of working on that power and also having your pushback all the way through your toes instead of you know, letting off the ground early. You know what I mean? Mm. So from a teaching standpoint, um, you want to you want to try to teach that sense of running on hot pavement. Yeah. Um, you know, like if you're if you're if you're at the pool and you're you're scooting across the uh, the hot you know like the hot uh, concrete. We tend not to take very big steps, but we're very quick on the ground, right? Right, right. That's the most effective way to think about running fast. Okay, so when you, like, if you take that philosophy, uh, say you do video of that athlete, I mean, where does, um, where does the cycle end? You know, as as their legs going back, and so you have you still have ground contact. Where does ground contact end? So so well, so ground contact is going to end. I know this is a little tough to show without like uh, <laughs> going up a run. Um, if if you go if 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 you go back and you look at um and whether you pull up like Carl Lewis or whether you pull up Gabriel Selassie, who you know who's like a phenomenal yeah. historical runner you're gonna see the hip extend just a little bit like where the thigh is extending just a little bit beyond um the foot being underneath the hip but then it's gonna get yanked right up back underneath the hip right okay so the thing that a lot of folks a lot of folks especially under fatigue the foot is gonna cycle back behind the body really far okay which sets up a casting action at the lower leg so like the knee is going to extend 
and that ends up creating a reach and slap on the ground in front of the hips. Okay. Which is a major breaking action. Like that's that's gonna that's where your shin splints could come right. from. Right. You know, that's that's all kinds of no bueno. Um, the more that as the foot comes off the ground, the more that you're going to lift it to the front immediately and minimize that back side of the mechanics, the more that you keep everything to the front side of everything. And I'm like, I've realized I'm sitting here moving my hands behind the, the camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay. Uh, the more you keep everything to the front side of everything, the easier everything gets because like if you do, if you were just to stand up where you're sitting there mm -hmm. and you push your leg behind you like just you know just stick your foot back there behind you where like the quote unquote like pretty gazelle type running goes on mm -hmm. you feel a postural difference in your low back that's no good okay but if you just stand up and you just lift your knee straight up to your chest, there's nothing that changes posturally there. Okay. That's what we're looking for. So basically, we'll see if I can summarize that. So without having like a hard – like we don't have a little model or a doll to like move, unfortunately. So basically you want to – the idea – is to extend as far as you can without changing upper body position. Let's see if we can do this here. Does that show up okay? Yeah, you're all right. All right. So what I was saying is that if I stand here and I push my leg back, yeah, you see a compromise in my posture immediately, right? Right, right. Where if I lift, just lift from the ground, Nothing gets compromised, right? Okay. So we have a, a solid core. We have solid strength that we can just lift to the front and hit the ground. And if we think about your basic ping pong ball just getting bounced on a paddle, mm -hmm. we can just literally do that with a little bit of a forward momentum okay. and everything everything takes care of itself i'll have to like go back over video and stuff it's like it's, it's one of those things that's all for at least for me is constantly evolving is trying to figure out what is perfect running form and everybody's like everybody has a different opinion on it and then then you find did you ever watch uh why did i just forget his name he was a british triathlete uh tim don have did you ever see tim don race he runs like, I can't even, like, it's so, like, jankety. I, I don't even know how else to describe it. It's just so messed up. But he's so fast. And you're like, how how does he get away with that? Right. Right. Oh, and, like, so, like, you look at the Brownleys, right? Right. You look at, you look at Gwen Jorgensen. Gwen can freaking run. Yeah. Like, that girl. I mean, you know, but we're talking about a girl who ran what, like, I want to say eight forty for three k as a freshman in college. I mean, yeah, freak. But, um, but the way the way that you know, like, you can tell that she was a track runner ahead of time. Mm -hmm. like, 
long before we got into triathlon. Like you can tell that that was the base. Right. Um, if you like, if you just want a model to look at from a mechanic standpoint, pull up Carl Lewis in pretty much any major championship. There's like slow motion video from the eighties. That's just fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, the guy just once he's up to speed just floats. He literally just floats. You know, like what we're talking about, where his hips are so high that when he strikes the ground, it's right underneath him and then right back off the ground. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, if your hips are low, you're gonna have like, you know, a foot and a half, two feet of ground contact, right? Like your hips have to translate right over top of that and that you know that 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 translation time is mega mega milliseconds on the ground Mm -hmm. and that's no good so there's two two things i kind of think about when we're talking about like how do you coach i feel like there's there's two issues that they come into play one kind of the one i was thinking about where like you've got the the longer push-off which looks nice but then also, you know, when you're trying to work with an athlete and say, okay, well, we need to keep, say, our sphere like, cycle, like, you know, right within the body. Uh-huh. You, I feel like you're probably going to get some people that overstride forward and end up breaking. How do you prevent yes. that? You cut off the backside. Okay. So if you cut off the backside, that they're, if they're just – so, because so much of that forward reach uh-huh. is set up by the over the over kick on the back. Mm-hmm. So, if you cut and and it, it's it's the cool it's the coolest phenomenon to watch. That if I have somebody run right behind you, all of a sudden you quit back kicking and you start lifting to the front. Mm-hmm. And you quit overstriding, like you start, you start, you start just putting your foot straight down underneath your hip, mm-hmm. and it, it's just it's weird. Um, and like the other the other metaphor is if you tell them, say, look, I got a I got a sheet of plywood right behind you, that if you kick that sheet of plywood, you're doing push-ups. That it it just it fixes it like that, like it's just it's immediate. Um, you know, the exact, the exact mechanisms, we could go into some physics on like, you know, whether you're lifting to the front and then all of a sudden that hip flexor is going to, you know, drop down just from a balance counterpoint standpoint. Mm -hmm. But if you, if you can teach somebody to cut off all the backside mechanics, the front side mechanics, 99% takes care of itself. Okay. So it's like a, it's like the overcompensation goes away. It re, it goes away. Yep. And what's what's cool about that is that once you fix that, eighty percent of the arms arm stuff mm-hmm. goes away with it. Right, because the the arms are just your counterbalance. They're trying to but, deal with whatever weird thing your legs are doing. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, and it's like you see so many, so many high school coaches are sitting there, you know, like with kids and just trying to teach them to pump their arms, pump their arms, pump their arms. 
which is great from a muscular development standpoint, but they're thinking mm. that they're fixing mechanics by just teaching them to pump their arms straight. And it ain't going to work because it's, like you say, it's just a counterbalance to what's going on down underneath. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I'm sure we could get down to the rabbit hole, but we're starting to run out of time. So I'll ask you the same question I ask everybody because it's a universal, and that is if you could only choose one food to eat for recovery for the rest of your life, what do you choose? Food specifically for recovery? Yeah, specifically for recovery. Oh, man. Um, are we talking general recovery? Are we talking like, I just finished nasty workout. This is what I'm going to. You just you just do 10 times one by one, and your legs are spent. And you're like, all right, I also have 50-meter repeats in the pool tomorrow. I need to be ready to go. Okay. Um it's got it's got to be a like a so i've got i've got this mixture of it's it's a scoop of gatorade it's um a little bit of water it's ice and then it's um basically fruit medley just in on top of that so you're getting the electrolytes on top of the fruit um now, if we're talking early in the morning, um, I've got a different mix where it's like strong coffee, um, chocolate weight protein powder, and whole milk. Okay. Um, that's 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 the go-to in the morning. But like I'd say anything after nine ten o'clock in in the afternoon, or I'm sorry, yeah, nine ten o'clock in the morning, it's going to be the uh, the fruit. I like I like how time specific you are. Like, depends on what time it is. <laughs> well, it does, you know, like, I, like I'm a big coffee guy. Like, I'm huge on my coffee, and I I usually don't get into it before a major workout in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, I usually like to just kind of chill on it afterward. But okay. if I if I if I need to recover and like that needs to happen. That that combination of protein powder and coffee is like snap you in. Hey, we're locked and loaded for the rest of the day. Yeah. Caffeine gets you going. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, thanks for coming on today, Ben. I'm sure we could probably get on another time and dive down more rabbit holes. You seem like you're you're full of good information. Uh I I'm full of something. That's what that, my mom keeps telling me that. <laughs> All right, well, I'll uh, I'll let you go. Thanks again. Awesome. Have a good one. Take care.